Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we have our interview with director Kevin Lima. He directed Tarzan and Enchanted in a Goofy movie. It was a great interview. We had a uh, yeah. great time talking <laughs> with him. Yeah, it was, it was fat, 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 fantastic. Fantastic? Yeah. I don't know. My lips don't work anymore. And yeah, it was a, it was a great interview. Uh, we had a great time talking with him. And we get a definitive answer to whether Belle is related to Jane from Tarzan. So it's coming from the director's Ooh. mouth here. Definitively Good te- answers Good that question. So we'll have to stay tuned for that. Yeah. But before we get into the interview, let's cover some Disney news for the week. So we got our first major announcement for some of the new shows and events that will be happening for the 50th anniversary down in Disney World. So opening October 1st is Harmonious, which we knew that show was coming (laughs) eventually. And it makes sense that it's going to open October 1st with the 50th. The picture they released... Still doesn't make those barges look worth it. A bit underwhelming. Yeah. So we'll have to see what it looks like in person, but I'm still not sold on these barges yet. Yeah, I texted Joe when he was at work, and I'm like, "Uh, is it me, or do these still look bad? Yeah. So so we'll see how that show looks. But uh, kind of a surprise, and this was somewhat rumored, but this looks pretty incredible. Over at the Magic Kingdom, we're getting a new nighttime spectacular called Disney Enchantment. This looks so good. And this is going to basically be a projection mapping show that's going to do the castle, but all of Main Street as well. And it looks like, based on the artist's rendition, it's going to be uh, complete gold projections all along Main Street and the castle. So so no word if this is going to replace Happily Ever After. Disney does mention in the press release that this will include fireworks and music and projection mapping. So it sounds like it could, or this could be something that they run before happily ever after and they're still doing happily ever after because i know that is a very popular show so that remains to be seen but this looks pretty amazing i i'm very excited to see this it looks so cool it looks like almost like a gold travels down main street maybe and and kind of splashes onto the castle it just looks so magical amazing i mean it's definitely going to change a little bit where you want to stand to watch the projection show because I mean, it just, it just, it looks incredible. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. I do think Disney included main street to your point there exactly because with increased crowds, you know, everybody's trying to get so close to the castle. And if you're kind of back on main street, you don't have a great view. Now you could be lined up all of main street and you're going to be a part of the show and it's going to be great angles. And then you're going to want to go back different nights to see close to the castle, far away from the castle. So yeah, I think it helps with knowing that there's gonna be a lot of people there wanting to see this show that, Hey, even if you're on main street, you're not going to get complaints that you couldn't see it. Right. So this is, this is pretty exciting over at animal kingdom. They're getting a new kite show. It's called Disney kite tales throughout the day. They're going to have, different kites kind of flying around over the water. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, You know, whenever we checked out the press release, I didn't even realize that the kite that they show, it's Simba. So they have Simba, Zazu, and then also, um, I'm sure that there are going to be other ones, but Baloo and King Louie were also named in the press release. So I'm really excited to see them, to see what they look like. They... They just they look really cool, and I'm excited to see what they do with them. Yeah, they mentioned that they're 30 feet long, and it looks like they're going to have people on like jet skis flying them around the uh, the amphitheater there. So th- this looks pretty cool. I think it'll be interesting. They'll just you know maybe have stuff throughout the day. It does seem like this was kind of like a a cheap way to add some additional <laughs> entertainment because 
hey, we're not going to build you know a, a brand new nighttime show or anything for Animal Kingdom. Let's just throw some kites out there, and we'll have you know people ride around in jet skis. I, I also but it's still going to be great. I also see this to be a merch play. I could one hundred percent see the them. Kites. Yeah, making you know lesser kites that kids will buy and and want because they want to um, you know do something like what they saw. So this is incredible, and I'm sure Disney probably already has that in the wings. And Disney also announced that they are going to be having character sculptures, special golden character sculptures at the Magic Kingdom. So if you go to the Magic Kingdom, they have sculptures of Mickey and Minnie now, but they're doing the Disney Fab 50. And so they're going to have 50 characters in total across the series. And they're going to be across all four parks. But they made a mention that there's going to be surprising ways you'll be able to interact with them. So yes. I'm not sure if you know there's going to be something with maybe the new genie app or the my disney experience app that's some sort of like augmented reality or you know if you talk to them if they will respond to you so that kind of remains to be seen but there's gonna be 50 sculptures and there's gonna be some sort of interactivity with them so it's really exciting so a lot of good stuff i mean the first thing we've really heard mm -hmm. about the 50th it's it's coming up quick but a lot of good stuff so far right. and then i like i said i think we're only getting started it's you know 18 month celebration we know we're going to be getting new attractions and i'm sure there'll be you know more surprises along the way yeah i'm excited to see what they do and then over in movie news they're doing a live action snow white which i didn't even realize this was <laughs> in the works but they announced they have cast snow white and it is going to be rachel zegler and she's going to be maria in steven spielberg's upcoming adaptation of west side story which was supposed to come out last year <laughs> but with everything getting delayed i believe it's coming out at some point this year i think christmas i'm not 100 percent sure but she's got the lead of maria that's kind of like her first major role and so she's now going to be uh snow white and i think snow white will be a good movie for live action because there's not a lot going on in the original animated movie like the evil queen doesn't have a huge role it's a pretty basic story because that was kind of like the first movie they ever did so i think there's a lot of room there to tell a new story kind of like how maleficent is good because it's kind of a brand new story and it's not just a you know word for word retelling like the lion king or you know, even aladdin to an extent so i think they have a lot of room that can really play with this so i think this will be a, a, a good live action one yeah absolutely and i think that they will be able to b build out the characters a lot more and make it a lot more interesting and add some depth to Snow White. I know she definitely needs it from the movies and also the Seven Dwarfs. So I'm looking forward to see what they do with that and how they play with that and how they update the story. I mean, Rachel is Latina. So, I mean, that's a really cool spin that they've taken on. it. They've updated it and made it more inclusive. So I think that they have a lot of room to make this story so much better than it was. Yeah, there's definitely a lot that you can update in this, you know, just based on the original story, you wouldn't want to do that same story exactly today. You know, there, there's a lot of areas you can modernize and really tell a similar tale, but in a new modern way. So I'm really excited to see where they go with this because right. I don't think it's just going to be, uh, you know, kind of a, a strict retelling of it. Yeah, excellent. And the last bit of Disney movie news is that Scarlett Johansson is actually announced to ha be producing the new Tower of Terror movie that will be coming out. Um, really excited to see that. I think that there were rumors that she was starring, but I know that the articles I'm looking at don't say that. So um, it's my guess that she probably will be. But uh, And she's also work will be working with Josh Cooley, who directed Toy Story 4. He will be writing the screenplay. So 
I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I have to imagine this is going to be a play off of the whole see? theme park universe that they're building on Disney+. Plus. You know, they've announced that they're doing a Haunted Mansion movie. We have the Jungle Cruise coming out. We know they're, they're making a whole universe of movies based on, you know, Magic Kingdom attractions. And like you mentioned, see the Society of Explorers and Adventures is kind of a through line. So I would actually, I don't think it's going to be based on like the Twilight Zone version. My bet would be that they could even go with the Tokyo Disney Sea version based on Hotel Hightower because that character is tied into the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. And I so I think it will go in that way to build it out into this connected universe of the haunted mansion and maybe the jungle cruise. And if they do, you know, big thunder mountain or something like that. So my guess is this is going to be something on Disney plus as kind of this expanded universe they're building and not necessarily a theatrical, release. a theatrical release. Um, but I, you know, I could be wrong because again with the jungle cruise, maybe that does really well and maybe they shift priorities and especially if you have Scarlett Johansson starring in it. Now again, right. No word on it, but you would think if she's producing, you know, she, there's a good chance that she could be starring in it as well. She's a pretty big name, like, right. you know, like the rock. So you could see that one being a theatrical release, but yeah, it would be interesting to see kind of where they take this story. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's get into our interview now with Kevin Lima. All right. We are excited to be joined today by Kevin Lima. Kevin has had a storied career with Disney, starting as an animator and moving on to direct movies like Tarzan, 102 Dalmatians, and Enchanted. Kevin, welcome to the show. Oh, it's nice to be here. Thanks for asking me. I want to kind of start off, you know, in, in your early career, what caused you to decide to get started in animation and filmmaking in general? Oh boy, it's been it's been something I wanted to do my entire life. I think you hear this a lot with people in animation. It's from from any from the first time I can remember I was drawing. So that was really the root of it. I saw my mother, I don't remember this really, but my mother says we saw Jungle Book together. And at the end, all those names went by. And I said, What's that? And she said, Well, those are the people who made the movie. And I said, Well, I'm gonna make that when I grow up. <laughs> and here I am, you know, making them. So so that's how it all started. I had a grandmother who was really artistic and she took me under her wing and she she really encouraged me to be an artist. Wow. In a time where I don't think a lot of people had, you know, parents or grandparents who would encourage you to do that. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, how do you make money being an artist? It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Nobody makes money doing that. You have to you have to do something else to make money and do that as a hobby. Right. Well, the whole starving yeah. artist. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a myth that uh, that's really been perpetuated. But my my parents and my my grandmother especially didn't do that. Well, I, I have to say, you know, we to prep for this, we we rented uh, Enchanted last night because weirdly it's not on Disney Plus, and I know. Uh, it's it's just. I mean, how does your mother feel about your name not only being in the credits but being the first one that pops up in the credits? <laughs> She's, you know, she was really proud of me. She was really, yeah. really proud. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think they could tell from a very early age that I just had this drive to make it happen for myself. And I just went out of my way constantly to just ask for what I wanted, make things happen for myself. And I was young when I was, even when I was like 14, I made it happen that I could get a job as a puppeteer with a professional company in Providence, Rhode Island, because I went to my town, which was giving jobs to, you know, welfare kids. I was, uh, I come from a broken home. And um, I went to them and I said, hey, went to the puppet, 
the Puppet Workshop is the name of the company. And I said, hey, if you guys ask for a kid, I'll go in and say, I want to be a puppeteer. And then we can make that happen. And so at 14, I made a job for myself happen, you know, and I think from that, a creative job. And mm -hmm. at that point, I knew, okay, I just have to constantly ask for what I want and be, and be clever enough to make it happen for myself because nobody's going to do it for you. Hearing you say that story, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Again, kind of researching for this episode and, and how your career has gone from animator to director to live action director. It, it really, I see that kind of through line and it makes a lot yeah. of sense that it started from a very young age. It did. And I asked for every single one of those jobs too. Yeah. You were young, you know? scrappy and hungry. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I really was. Well, I came from a family where we didn't have, you know, we didn't have much. So I was going to make it happen. I was determined not to be. I hate to say this, but like my parents, my mother was an alcoholic, my dad was a heroin addict. And I said, I'm not going to be that at a very, very early age. I said, that's not me. And I grabbed a hold of everything that I could to make it, to make it not that, right? To change that. Yeah. Wow. That's a case. That's a case where like a negative, you know, a ne negative nurturing experience can turn positive. Mm -hmm. Right. I would say, do you, do you kind of look back on your upbringing and almost see that as like a positive now that it, it forced you to work harder? And like you said, forced you to kind of ask and, and take those chances and those opportunities. You kind of had to advocate for yourself because you were behind. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I do see it as a positive. And in fact, many years later, when Tarzan was being released, my, my, my dad reached out. He had, it had been 25 years since I'd seen him. And he reached out just as that movie was being released. And I thought to myself, would I be who I am today had this man been in my life all these years, right? And I think the answer is no. You know, I would have been, a, absolutely would have been, would have been a, a different person and had a different journey. So I guess in some ways, I mean, I'm not it's odd to say I'm grateful, but, uh, but it did shape me. And then, you know, early in your career, I think once you graduated, you went to, um, I think it was Taiwan or, I did. or Thailand. So what, what kind of made you decide to do that? I mean, that's a pretty big jump to, you know, go internationally for, for your first job like that to kick off your career. Uh, it's not really something you decide to do. Um, <laughs> it's something I had to do. Okay. Um, because when I went to CalArts, everyone, everyone went there, went to the California Institute of the Arts, thinking they were going to work at Disney. Well, I worked there just as the Black Cauldron was being. I, I, I graduated just as the Black mm -hmm. Cauldron had been released, and the studio hired no one from mm -hmm. CalArts the year that I, was, that I graduated. So we just tried to figure something out. And the route that presented itself to me was on the Brave Little Toaster being animated in Taiwan. So I did a bunch of design work here in the States. And, um, and then they asked me if I wanted to go. And I said, oh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll take it on. I'll see. I'll see what it's all about. What is like the most memorable thing that you had that happened when you were over there? Because that, that had oh, to have been an man. insane experience. And it was the first time I'd ever been out of the country, right? Oh, so, wow. So I'd gotten on a plane and moved to California and that in and of itself, from Rhode Island to California, and that in and of itself was a big surprise and shock mm -hmm. for me because you get off the plane and there are palm trees everywhere. It's like, <laughs> what, what the hell is that? Um, <laughs> but um, going to Taiwan, oh man, it was, everything was just, was was just new, everything. I can remember my, on my first day taking a walk and seeing a little shivering dog, a skinny little shivering dog in, the, in an alleyway just shaking. I thought, oh no, what have I done? 
Really? This is where I am? I mean, in the in, in the in the little field next to the studio, there were, you know, there were um water buffalo. What? In the in the in the little the little vacant lot next to the between two big buildings. There were water buffalo running around. Um so you know, it was just totally different. And I didn't speak the language, so we were all just figuring it out. But I was getting to animate, right? I was getting an opportunity to do something that I always wanted to do. So you grab a hold of it and you take it where it leads you. Wow. <laughs> Did you actually end up learning the language then? No, no. I know <laughs> a couple of things in Mandarin, but not much. Like, you know, turn left and turn right, zoswan, yoswan, those kind of things. But yeah. nothing, but nothing really. No, and it's a hard. <laughs> it's a, it's barely get by. To be quite honest with you, <laughs> we used to have a, we used to have these little, um, these little notebooks filled with um, business cards that would get you to a restaurant, right? So you'd pick up a business card wherever you went to someplace you liked, and then you just show your taxi driver the business card, and he'd take mm-hmm. you there. So wow. we, we figured out ways around it. Perfect. So. Uh, so, you know, you, you talked about Disney hiring was uh, only hiring like nobody when you graduated. Was that always a company that you wanted to work for? Yes. Yes. Always. Always. I mean, I told you I saw the Jungle Book when I was a kid. Yeah. That sort of cemented it for me. I was going to say, was that your was that like the moment that was the favorite movie growing up? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It still is in many ways. It's not a perfect movie, but I just I just adore it for all the reasons that it inspired me to take this on. So, yeah, and I was one of those kids, you know, we didn't have we didn't have VHS tapes or any of that stuff. So I had all the Disney albums and I would play them constantly and act it all out. And, you know, I was I was I was just really obsessed with it. I would take home that big. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's the Christopher Finch Art of Walt Disney book. Big white book with Mickey Mouse with a paintbrush on the cover. Oh, I was going to say, I feel like that sounds familiar. I feel like if I saw it, I would recognize it. You would recognize it. It's huge. It's big and thick. And I used to carry that book home from the live from from the public library, probably walk two miles home with that book. And I bring it back a week later, check it out again, carry it all the way home with me. And I would draw like all the characters out of the book. It was it was something. <laughs> was was it in the snow with no shoes on uphill yes. both ways too? Yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> And, and then so you, you ultimately did join Disney and, you know, you came on in the 90s and, and kind of this reemergence of, of Disney animation and, and movies. What yeah. was that experience like joining the company at that time? So it's a company you've always wanted to work for. You kind of come on right as Disney's hitting its stride again. Um, what was it like being there at that time? Well, you know, it wasn't quite hitting its stride yet. I, I okay. started in 1987. Mm-hmm. at Disney. And they were just, they had just finished the Great Mouse Detective. Okay. We were, I was supposed to start as an animator on Oliver and Company. And they weren't quite ready yet. So I did a whole bunch of character design on A Little Mermaid. So a lot of those, you know, all the fish in Under the Sea, um, the Kiss the Girl animals, all those extra animals I got to design, design just because just because they didn't have work for me yet, which was great. So I got to do all of that, which is great. So when I see bed sheets with all those characters on it, I, <laughs> I can't help but stand proud. Um, so, so it was just really the beginning of the Renaissance. We didn't know we were starting something. We thought we'll, we'll be lucky to eke out an existence. I mean, Black Cauldron and then, you know, 
great. Mouse Detective didn't do that great. And it did, it did okay, but it wasn't great. We were hopeful for Oliver and Company, and it really didn't take off in a big way either. And it wasn't till really the release of The Little Mermaid Mm-hmm. where we started to think, oh, okay, we're, we're a part of something here. There's something really happening. Mm-hmm. So it took, it took some time and we didn't think we were starting anything. It just sort of evolved. You know, I always kind of wonder that, you know, when you're in the moment, like, do you realize that it's something special or is it not until, you know, after the fact that you realize, yeah, we, you know, we really did something great. So kind of, as you said, as you're just going through, you're just kind of hoping to get the next movie to be a little bit more successful and you, you really didn't yeah. know it was happening until, you know, probably, probably well past. So you had a couple there, of You know, there's something about it when you're on it, you know, mm-hmm. you know, as an artist, you get that kind of feeling in your body that this is something special. And I think we all knew that with The Little Mermaid. We felt like we were really hitting some storytelling strides and the design work was better. The animation was better. And I think we felt it as it was growing. Through, you know, through, I, I think we hit a little bit of a rough spot with the rescuers down under, yeah. which I was a character designer on. And we thought, okay, I don't know if we're really going to, you know, take that next step here, but then Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. just yeah. started that bam, 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 where we knew each movie, we hoped each movie was going to be better than the next. And they were making a lot of money too, right? Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. I kind of see the rescuers down under is kind of almost like it was kind of like a growth movie. You could Mm -hmm. see like the growing of, you know, the CG, like the uh, The CG animation at the very beginning. And, you know, you had some really cool characters and like, uh, what was her name? Johanna. What was the the lizard? Yeah. Johanna. Yeah. Yeah, Johanna. I mean, that was that, that character really sticks out to me. And that Uh just has Uh a very amusing character, but um, the yeah, animation I, is excellent. I mean, you can mm-hmm. see the growth of the animators yes. in that movie, I think. Right. That you can say, oh, wow, people are really pulling it together. Yeah. The cleanup, the actual like line work, the, the, yeah. the final drawing was all really solid in a way that maybe it wasn't in The Little mm-hmm. Mermaid. The Little Mermaid, you can watch The Mermaid change depending upon what animator is supervising specific sections. You get Glenn Keane's Little Mermaid. You get Mark ends little mermaid and you, you kind of go, okay, I can, I can see how it's not yet cohesive. We hadn't learned yet how to make it look like it all came from one hand. Wow. Okay. So, I see. I would like to watch a, a commentary cause I'm, I'm not that well trained to pick that stuff up. But if you, right. were, if you watched it and you were like, Oh, I can tell it's, it's this one. It's this, Oh, look at the difference <laughs> here. And I'd be like, Oh, this is great. This is like the best spot, the difference ever. <laughs> It's, you know, you can see it in all the movies because they're hand drawn, mm. but there are some that, that stand out more than others as, as having issues or being, are being really spot on. Wow. I'm going to go back and watch the little mermaid at like half speed <laughs> now and try to really like frame by frame, see if I can spot a difference there. <laughs> just, you know, our movie now. Yeah, you're right. Right. You know, just watch part of your world versus some of the other sequences. Okay. Part of your all world right. looks very different. I am writing that down right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then so, um, again, you kind of talked about it, it, animation was kind of starting to grow, you're you know, kind of picking up steam. And then ultimately, you kind of decided that you wanted to direct. And so what, what, I guess, maybe was your thought process there first that were you kind of getting tired of animation that you wanted to try something different or, or was directing something you've always wanted and, to do. And you did story in there too. I did. I did. I found that I, I did story on Aladdin. 
Okay. Yeah. I was a storyboard artist. There you go. I was a storyboard artist. I'm wearing on a shirt for the listeners. <laughs> um, so it really, I think, stems back to when I was a puppeteer because when I worked with that company, you did everything. Mm-hmm. You built puppets. You wrote. You wrote uh, scripts. You improvised with the group. You, you know, you 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 built. You did everything. You directed. So when I went into sort of the 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 machine, if we want to call it that, of animation, you get sort of squeezed down into only being able to do one thing. Mm. And I found that I was sort of I was always itching to do more. So I moved around a lot. I, I was an animator on Oliver and Company and said, boy, I just can't sit behind a desk for 10 hours a day just working on this one second worth of, you know, film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that really kind of drove me crazy. I realized I was, I was a more social collaborator. And so then I went into the visual development department and went back to designing. So I designed characters on... Um, uh, rescuers down under and then went into story on Aladdin. Again, I had to move. I just had to move on to something else. Um, and I, and I, I also did designs on beauty and the beast. So I was, I did a lot of designs on the three objects. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Lumiere and Cogsworth. And at the end of Aladdin, I had, I had done a little bit of theater. I went back and did some sort of community theater where I directed a production of Into the Woods and did a couple of other things just because I wanted to make sure that I, that I still, that I still had that drive to be, to be a director, to be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought if I wanted to be a director in animation, that I should gain a little bit more, um, knowledge of working with actors. Okay. So, so I was totally collecting what I thought I needed in order to take that next step. And then I went in and asked if I could direct and they said, no, um, <laughs> <laughs> they basically said, there's no room we're planned out for the next, you know, six, seven years. Oh, wow. Okay. So we really can't, you know, we really can't push you up into this position because we just don't have space for you. So I left. I left oh, Disney. Wow. Yeah. I just said, I really want to do this. So I took it upon myself to go somewhere else. And I went to a smaller company called Hyperion Animation. Uh-huh. And at the time, they were doing something called Baby's Kids. I don't know if you've heard of that animated film. Yeah. Um, and so I was developing things with them. And while I was there, I started doing some storyboards on a goofy movie <laughs> for Jerry Reese, who was the director of The Brave Little Toaster. So we had a connection. I did some okay. storyboards, some freelance storyboards for him. And when Jerry decided he didn't want to direct the movie, I got asked. So Wow. And what was that experience like directing your first movie? What was it like? Um, <laughs> well, so very a, open-ended. Very open-ended very, question. That's yeah. a very big question. Yes. Um, like, did you feel like? like you bit off more than you could chew? Did you? <laughs> yeah. Um, at all different times felt different things. Mm. I... At first felt like, you know, a, a goofy movie wasn't necessarily my dream project. I wasn't okay. like, okay, I'm doing this as a way to take a step to become a director. It's an opportunity that's right in front of me. I should take it. But over the course of putting the movie together, I realized that I was really doing it for a different reason was to work out all my all my demons, you know? Mm-hmm. And it became a very personal story for me as we started to develop a script and storyboard. Um, and I wanted to find a way to make it more human 
to make Goofy a more relatable parent and to create a dynamic there of discovery. And I realized ultimately that it was sort of the perfect, you know, start because I was able to connect to it emotionally mm-hmm. on right. a deep, and, deep level. Yeah. And I mean, the, the themes in that movie, I, they all, they kind of touch on where, you know, Disney movies don't always have that like super deep thematic. I mean, they, they can be deep, but not like Pixar movies are uh-huh. a lot of times. And right. I feel like you, you kind of really hit that, that chord. You struck that chord. Do you feel like the movie was ahead of its time as far, as far as, you know, that's concerned? I don't know if it was ahead of its time, but certainly it was trying to do something that Disney wasn't trying to do at that Mm -hmm. time, right? So it really wanted to be a contemporary story story that spoke to, you know, the time. And I think in doing that, it connected on a way for some people that maybe the fairy tale movies don't. Um, I, I do find those movies, though, deeply emotional, some ways, The Lion King is very emotional. Oh yeah, oh, oh, trust me, that's yeah. my favorite movie. <laughs> is it? Is it? So, so it digs, it digs deep, um, but it still feels like it exists in a once upon a time, you know, yes. world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a Goofy movie was trying to be sort of contemporary, like a like a John Hughes movie, right, and speak yeah. to the kids of its time, and also their parents too. I mean, you watch it. You know, you watch it as a kid, you're like, oh my gosh, Goofy, back off. Like, he's so annoying. But then if you watch it as an adult, you're like, oh, he just wants to talk to you. Just listen. <laughs> That's the great thing about the movie. And I think why it's lived mm-hmm. on is because the kids who loved it way back when are now having kids. And so now they see a different side of something that they adored mm-hmm. when they were young. And I don't think there's a lot of movies that, that allow that, that allow that entrance point from two ends. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I was going to ask that, like... How has it been to kind of see the legacy of that movie over the, in the past 25 years? Because when it when it came out, it, it wasn't very successful at the box True. office, but it's very much gained a cult following. And like you said, I think a lot of people that grew up watching that, I mean, I see a ton of memes on the internet. People were recreating the power line dance, you know, during quarantine. And it's just kind of like exploded in a totally different way. Yeah, yeah more so than any movie I've worked on, to be quite honest with you. It blows my mind how I've never seen like a, I don't know the last time I saw a, tar- a Tarzan shirt, but yeah, I've seen Powerline shirts places. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really blown up. Yeah. I started to realize that something was really going on at the, um, at D23 years ago when they had this, they, they, they had like a, um, a, a panel. I couldn't make it. I was, I was off doing something else, but they had a panel and the, they set they they set it up in a tiny room, and they had to turn away about four hundred people. Okay. Whoa. And it was at that moment that I thought, okay, there's something going on here. There's some mm-hmm. there's some surge. And then I went to the El Capitan in in Hollywood, where they did like a I forget what it was like a twenty year sort of screening, and I did the opening night, and. It was like watching Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> the audience was so into it. They were screaming. They were, they were, they were repeating all the, doing all the dialogue. They were singing all the songs, getting up and dancing. They came dressed as the characters. I mean, someone <laughs> even came as Lester from Lester's Possum. Oh, wow. Made the whole big walk around character costume. Weren't you the voice of Lester? Was that? Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, I am. And it's just because I did it in scratch dialogue and everybody laughed. 
So we kept it. So it's like, who's your favorite possum? That's me. <laughs> Why so sad? Um, I I always try to put myself in the movie somewhere. Uh, it's just a little a little thrill for me. Oh wait, okay. Now now you have me on an, off on another tangent. It's completely unrelated. So you were Pip in Enchanted. Yeah. Tarzan. I I do. I hate to say this, but I do a lot of. I don't do the Tarzan yell, but I do a lot of Tarzan's yelling oh, in the movie. Okay. So, so like all those impassioned, like, ah, and things like that is all me. Um, nice. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And then when it came to live action movies, I just started sneaking myself into those movies as well. So if you know what I look like, you can see me. Oh, look at it. 100 True Dalmatians. Yeah, I was going to say 100 he, he wins the, I win the, 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 the dog show and Cruella <laughs> oh, gives okay. me the, the prize. Um, those kinds of things. In Enchanted, I'm in a one little shot where, where, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Narissa comes up through the, the manhole cover in New York and all these people turn their heads. That's me. I'm one of those okay. people. So it's just like little things. If you didn't know, you know. It's the benefits of being the director, right? <laughs> well, we still have our rental. We might have to go back and check that scene out. <laughs> You'll see me. I have hair, actually. Oh, so nice. You might not recognize it. <laughs> so, yeah, kind of moving to the, your, your next movie. So you did a goofy movie. Yeah. You went, you went to Tarzan after that. When you were, you know, when you were done with a goofy movie, you know, were you thinking like, was it a positive experience? Were you like looking forward to your next movie? Was Tarzan something you were thinking of? Or was it like, Hey, I need a break. Cause like you said, it maybe wasn't your dream project to begin with. So, right. right. No, I, you know, no, no, I wanted to do no, another one. Okay. I thought, okay, it's, it's, you know, what's next? How do I, how do I take another step as an artist, as a director? So I was thinking about that. Uh, the way Tarzan came along is one of the, one of the heads of the studio gave me a book, gave me the book and said, I was finishing a goofy movie. He said, read this. I think it should be your next movie. And I read it and I absolutely fell in love. And then I was told, oh, we're going to make this at a satellite studio up in Vancouver that we're going to set up. And my heart just sunk because I thought, oh boy, we could barely animate Goofy. How are we going to animate a naked wow. man? One of the hardest <laughs> things to animate, right? Is the mm -hmm. human body and muscles. Yeah. I thought, how are we going to do this? I, I, I don't think we can do it. And I was actually considering going and doing a movie somewhere else. Um, that executive had left the studio at that point. And um, he was starting something else at another new studio. You can figure out, you can put all the pieces together and figure <laughs> out what I'm, who, I, who and what I'm talking about. And um, uh, Michael Eisner came back to me and said, hey, we're going to make Tarzan at Feature Animation. Do you want to do it there? Yes. So then I knew, okay, I, I have to do this. I mm -hmm. absolutely have to do this. Yeah. And I fought to direct it alone, but they said, we don't do that here. You have to have a partner. <laughs> and I, and I reached into my friend group and, and uh, Chris Buck, who I directed the movie with was my supervising animator many, many years ago when I was a senior at, at CalArts, I worked on a project called Sport Goofy. And he was my supervising animator, and we got along really, really well. We had really like like sensibilities, and I asked him if he'd direct it with me. And he wasn't sure at first. He was like, oh, I don't know. Nobody wants to see a movie about Tarzan. That's what he actually said. Oh, and wow. uh, he uh, he finally agreed to take it on, and we went on that adventure. 
Wow. wow. Now, what what was that experience like? Because you mentioned, you know, Goofy movie that was kind of, um, you know, done under, I think it was like the TV or, you know, satellite studios versus, you know, now feature animation where, you know, it's, it's a different quality, different style. I mean, was it kind of like a whole, you know, eye opening experience or was it still, you know, pretty similar? It was, it was a different experience. I find that every movie I've worked on is a totally different experience and you have to look at it that way. Um, the dynamics were different, right? Uh, Goofy movie was, uh, was produced at the French studio and they had done the DuckTales movie and a couple of other television shows at that, mo- at that time. And um, they were scrappy, right? And they wanted it desperately. They just wanted it so desperately. So they were willing to really just go and make anything happen. You go to Disney feature animation and there, you know, that's like working with, uh, you know, 200 Robert De Niro's, right? Because <laughs> they're all at the top of their game. Absolutely okay. at the yeah. top. So it's a different dynamic and you find that you have to, you have to evolve as a director to, to understand the group that you're working with, understand them as a group, understand them as individuals and, you know, working with an animator is like working with an actor and you got to look at them each separately and, you know, take some time to figure out who they are and what they need from you as a director. And so it was, it was, it was a very different circumstance. So I, I never thought of it like this, but so it's kind of like you were working with kind of your your people that don't necessarily have like the natural talent. I hate to say like with air quotes, but and so they were. Uh, yeah, they were like maybe willing they to work. Unproven skills. Right. So they have some of them right. were so incredibly talented, but they hadn't really done that kind of work before. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they were willing to work harder almost maybe sometimes yeah. at points. And then yeah, you have yeah. the the studs that are like, oh, you know, I'm wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and and those ones sometimes don't always bring their A game because they're so used to being like oh, the best. So uh, Yeah, and they and, and and each of them want to be the 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 top of the heap, right? So they're not necessarily mm-hmm. going to engage with you in the way that you want them to or need them to. So you know, just a little example, like I, we had laid out a scene a certain way and I had, you know, I had really thought about emotionally how it needed to cut and some, an animator came in and wanted to change it all. Just wanted to throw everything out, all the work I had done because he wanted more close-ups earlier. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. This is two characters separated and that they don't come together until this shot. And in this shot, when they have total understanding of each other, we have a two shot. And that's how it's, you know, that's how it needs to, that's how it needs to uh, progress. And, you know, I get a lot of pushback about that. Huge amount of pushback because, you know, they wanted to do it their way. Do you find that that's like one of the hardest parts of directing is just kind of managing the egos and, and the talent that you're working with? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's all, you know, and it's all it's all different all the time and it's Mm -hmm. constantly changing, right? People aren't aren't consistently the same way Mm -hmm. forever. So you have to sort of look at where people are at, what they're going through, what kind of pressure they're under, right? Because it is a, it is a job in which you have to do a certain amount of footage worth Mm -hmm. of film every week, right? So you're under a tremendous amount of pressure to perform um, and produce. So you have to sort of take into account all of those things and try to be as understanding as possible. You know, one thing that kind of struck me, uh, we were rewatching it, Enchanted. Um, so this isn't about but Tarzan, but it's kind of, you know, movies in general. When those credits roll, just the number of people that yes. are working on these films, I mean, just hundreds and hundreds of people. And then you as the director, 
you never thought of this, but like you're managing that. You're you're managing almost like a small company An in army, its own right. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think directors have often been called, you know, the leader of an army, right? That you have to be a general in order to lead that army to a finished product. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's a lot of people, they're not all there at the same time. Okay. You know, because you work over 4 years, so some right. people are on the beginning of a project and they they move aside and the next group comes in. Um, you know, but it is, it does take a lot of, a lot of constant thought and a vision, right? You have to have a vision and know what you want in order to survive those four years of production because mm-hmm. things want to change and there's lots of forces that come at you that want to change it. Everyone from, you know, an animator to, you know, the marketing department. Or the consumer products department who thinks that maybe your apes don't look unique enough for them to make into toys. Okay. Right? So it's that kind of thing that's a constant push and pull that you have to you have to sort of deal with. If you think about it, and, and here's a good example. Like you have a character like Tarzan, who was, by the way, animated. The supervisor was Glenn Keane, mm-hmm. one of the great animators of all mm-hmm. time. He wanted, he didn't want to work in LA. So we said, how about if you work in France, because the French studio I'd worked with was now part of Disney feature animation. Okay. How about if you work in France and you do all of Tarzan in France? So first of all, now you have your main character being done in another building <laughs> on another continent. That wow. animator then, well, is this before or after the end? Cause we, we talked to Tom and Tony Bancroft and I think they were talking about how you had to ship like literally like just huge stacks of paper we did. through the mail. Oh, you were still doing that at that point too. We oh, were, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember because, because the whole movie's digitized. So, but people were still animating on paper. Okay. Okay. So I think we did, depending upon where we tried to keep everything there. So all of Tarzan could be, Done in one place, but if Tarzan shared a scene with another character, like with Jane, mm-hmm. Tarzan would be animated, and then all that paper would be shipped to the United States, and then Jane would work with, you know, the animator on Jane would work with that thing. But then, okay, so you have one supervisor on Tarzan in another country. Then you have 14 animators underneath that one animator who are all animating Tarzan. And they're not in the same country? No, no, no. All okay, those okay. people are okay. in the same country. Okay. Don't, don't, don't have I a was connection. having a like retrospective heart <laughs> attack for you. But if you think about it, none of those, none of those people draw the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet they have to all create one character, the illusion of one character, so that when you watch it, you don't say, hey, that seems like a totally different character to me. It has to all live and breathe as one character. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the that's one of the real I want to say specialties, but but it's one of the things that a that a that a director of animation has to concern themselves with. How do I get twenty people to animate a character, a single character, in a specific way, as opposed to directing one actor on set, oh who is always going to be that actor, right? Right. No matter what. Yeah. So, so how do you and go about doing that? So your head's exploding. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're like um, <laughs> lots of different ways. Your supervisor is your key, right? So your supervisor okay. is the one who is making sure and working with all of those animators. You do certain things like we shot live action reference, hmm. right? So there would be footage to work from that all the animators could look at and understand. Oh, I get it. 
You know, this is how he walks on his knuckles. This is how he might scratch his cheek because we've gone through some of that. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that, you know, you get a handout from your director, right? So that's always coming. It's always funneling through one person. And I had a real tendency to be really physical about it. And I would climb up on the tables, and, you know, go over and pick on my co-director's beard and stuff just to act out what I was thinking in the, you know, for the, for the, for the animators. Mm-hmm. I and, bet you were a blast to work for though. <laughs> um, maybe. <laughs> I think some people had fun. I did the same thing on a goofy movie and that's sort of how I sort of, why I've sort of, and, and I was a puppeteer and all that to begin mm-hmm. with. Right. So I have that natural, like want to mm-hmm. feel it in my body, even on, even on Enchanted, I would go up to Amy Adams. And when I would talk to her about a moment, I would lift my pinkies up in the air and I would, you know, and I, and I would be talking about what the scene should be, but I'd be acting like Giselle. I just couldn't help it. <laughs> she used to make fun of me constantly for it. But on Goofy Movie, I used to have to send VHS tapes of myself doing those handouts. Mm, okay. And then scenes would come back of Max, and I would go, oh, man, that's, like, way too close to my acting. <laughs> it looked like me. And people would say, Kevin, this this looks exactly like you. Are you okay with that? <laughs> like, I guess. <laughs> that's, yeah, really interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. something I never yeah, thought about that it's not just one person animating it. It's yeah, a yeah. team and you have to have that consistency um, and, and just kind of keeping that together with Tarzan. Uh, it's a little bit unique for like Disney movies of the times in that it is a musical, which a lot of the other ones were, but the main characters right. aren't the ones singing. You have Phil Collins kind of singing everything. So was that like always a conscious choice or, you know, since you had Phil Collins an incredible talent where you're like that kind of helped lean you to letting him sing all the songs. It actually was the opposite way around is that um, we asked Phil to do the movie because we decided that we were going to do it differently. Okay. That we weren't going to have, I, I couldn't imagine a naked man standing on a branch breaking into an I want song. It just seemed like, how are we going to pull this off? Okay. It just seems foolish to me. So there had been a bunch of musicals at that time. There had even been an African musical. So we thought, how do we differentiate ourselves from those movies? First, we thought about, drumming because the lion king was all about vocals african vocals Mm -hmm. so we thought we're going to use african rhythm and okay who's going to write these songs and we thought you know we listened to a couple of different pop artists because that was sort of the way we were thinking about moving and uh we heard in the air tonight and we said how can we not like use phil it just seemed like a natural Mm -hmm. fit first he didn't really want to do it he was sort of scared. He said, like, I don't I don't know if I'm your guy. I can't write that kind of stuff. And we said, no, no, no. We don't want you to write that kind of stuff. We want to do something different. Mm-hmm. And that's when we that's when we started talking about it being the inner voice of Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Really, okay. so we're going to explore what's going on in his head so that he doesn't have to say it. I'll tell you, there's nothing I hate more in an animated movie than a character who has to speak the theme constantly. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm learning. This is, this is how I, this is how I, this is what I've learned from being on this journey. But having a character who could sing his inner thoughts, we could do all of that on a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it made it, uh, and we've, I think I've gotten like a huge piece of criticism online. There was someone who like, just like slammed this whole essay 
a video essay on YouTube, and I watched it, and my jaw just dropped, thinking, wow, someone hates this musical that much because it's not like the other ones. Okay. Wait, did, they, did they hear the same one that everybody else heard? <laughs> they got a lot of crap for, for having put <laughs> that video on. And it was a fairly well-put-together video. The guy's sort of like a musicologist. Okay. And wow. and he just sort of, you know, broke it down because it wasn't actually sung from the character's mouth. Okay. That that we lost the emotional connection to the inner journey. And I think it's exactly the opposite. I think you get the inner journey in a totally different, fresh and original way. Yep. The characters yeah, get to totally speak what's in their what's in their head and in their heart. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Tarzan's incredible. We actually recently kind of just rewatched all the Renaissance movies and ranked them and we had Tarzan. Oh, wow. Up yeah. there, I don't know if it was, it was one or two. I we had it was, Lion it King. It was in the top, top three. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. top three. And I bet the Lion King was number one, right, Angela? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Jay, you just gave in, right? You just said, okay. I did. Yeah, I gave in. I was like, I'll let you he know. knows <laughs> that resistance is futile. On that <laughs> oh that boy, was, that was not a fight he wanted to take on. That's funny. Um, That's really funny. I could do pretty much all the dialogue for the movies now. You mentioned you were considering maybe going like a more pop route. What were there some other singers that you originally had in mind before you settled on Phil? We we basically sat in a room and listened to um, a bunch of um, work by by a couple of artists. One of them um, one of them was Sting, and the oh, other wow. was okay. Phil. Phil okay. Collins. And we actually brought in two singers, a, a man and a woman, to sing their songs mm, to see okay. if the songs could live in another in a character voice. So we 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 ended up we 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 landed on Phil, and Sting ended up doing um, Kingdom of the Sun, which became The Emperor's New Groove. Oh. Um, and as part of that journey, when we started talking about how how music would live in the movie, we decided that. Well, we were just going to have one singer throughout the whole thing. It wasn't Phil yet. Okay. And then we had cut Phil's demos into our reels and it just seemed obvious. It was like, why isn't it just Phil? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he holds the song so emotionally in him that we just felt like it had to be him. So we asked him to to be the voice. Did you use the songs to drive like the movie or did the movie drive? Like where did... Did you, where's the writing of the songs come in? Like the, was that early on or in the process? Uh, very, very early on. So we, so we put together, we had written a script. We had recarded that story. So we changed it a bunch. And at that moment of recarding the story, which is basically working out all the beats of the story, mm-hmm. we started to decide where songs were going to be. Okay. okay. And so when Phil came in, we said, here, we think there's a song. We pitched the whole movie. We think there's a song here. We think there's a song here. We think there's a growing montage in which he gains his skills. We think there's a song when he meets the humans in which he's trying to figure out how he fits in, in, in this new world. Um, the hardest song was probably the opening number. It was probably the mm-hmm. last song we pulled together. We tried many, many different ways to, to, to make that happen. And ultimately, we condensed, you know, probably 15 minutes worth of story down into a two and a half minute song by being able to montage it while Phil basically sings the theme of the movie you're about to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Wow. One yeah. World, Two Families, which is right. really the right. thematic material of the movie. Right. Now, I was going to say, I know, you know there's a ton of Tarzan stories out there. Like, 
what yeah. what was kind of your entry point for it? Was it always that theme of two families, one world, like, or was was there like an evolution to it as you as you went through it? The very first drawing I did, I drew in my copy of Tarzan, and it was a gorilla hand with a little baby hand inside of it. It was okay. just like a little doodle I was doing on the side, and it ended up being for me what the movie was all about, right? Mm. Is that does that family can happen anywhere and that it isn't the family that you, that you're, you're necessarily born into. It's the family that you make. Mm -hmm. Um, And a a story of really adoption. Right. Mm. So, so that became that, that was really the very beginning, what we were, what we were considering thematically. Wow. Turned out great. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. I mean, that's that's one. Really of the, proud of that movie. Yeah, it's a really tear jerker of a again, movie. right? Again, it has all these themes about fathers and sons, and you know, goes back to touching yeah. upon what I, what I was living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Anyways. Yeah, it was incredible. Okay, so little little sidetrack here. I wanted okay. to ask you about this. So I know there's some theories out there, and and when I, I was rewatching Tarzan. I kind of saw this. So there's some theories that Jane is related to Belle. <laughs> and because there's like the, the, uh, she wears a yellow dress, just like <laughs> Belle. You have kind of the Mrs. Potts tea set makes an appearance. So I want to ask, is there any truth to that? Was any of that deliberate? Is, is she like a, a distant relative of Belle or are we all just reading into this way too much? Hogwash. You're oh. all crazy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are only so many colors in the paint box, right? So choosing yellow doesn't mean that they're they're cousins or anything. Yeah, I was um, looking at timelines. I was like, could this make sense? Could she have been in France and then to England? And all right, no, 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 no. <laughs> there was also one for a while that that like was like that Tarzan's parents were also Elsa and yes. Anna's parents, and yep. I think Chris Buck said that as a joke once, and it just someone grabbed a hold of it. So. Right, that they, yeah, that they were the they ones. They get killed at sea, right? Yeah. yeah, they got the shipwreck and everything. And, 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 and you know, and Anna Elsa wouldn't know that they had a baby while they were on the boat and all this stuff, right? Yeah. Right, right. That, yeah, I think, I think Frozen 2 kind of squashed that one where we found out they <laughs> died at sea. I think after it was after Frozen, yeah, people were like, oh, they could have they could have yeah. been out there. So, all right. Well, I'm still holding that Jane may be related to Belle. I, I'm still holding you on to that one. You the man himself telling you no, and you're still holding on to it. <laughs> You, you, you know, I can't you know stop you from. You can't direct you some do. people. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, I, so I want to move on um, to to live action. So after Tarzan, you, you move into live action. I think your first movie was 102 Dalmatians um, right. with Glenn Close. She was in Tarzan, 102 Dalmatians. Was that something again? Was it like uh, you wanted a change of pace? You wanted to try live action, or um, was it you know just an opportunity you saw and said, hey? it's let, let me take it and try. Or you say there's just one actor and they don't have to, they're not multiple <laughs> actors that we have to make all look no. the same. <laughs> well, that's, well, that was one of the things that I thought would have been good about it. Um, but, you know, in, in, with the whole idea of divide and conquer, it doesn't necessarily work out that way. Um, because when you have multiple people all doing one thing, you can usually get your way. But when one person, they can hold you hostage. Um <laughs> Um, it all happened because Glenn Close, I was directing Glenn Close on, a, on Tarzan, and she said, you know, you direct more like a live action director than an animation director. Mm-hmm. And she said, have you ever thought about doing live action? And I just said, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and when Tarzan was done, I told the, the, you know, I told the folks, it sort of planted this little 
seed in my head. And I told my, my bosses that I was going to go on and try to do a live action movie. And it just so happened that the head of animation then became the head of live action. And Glenn Close said, what about Kevin? Because they had lost their director on 102, like three months before it was going into uh, going before cameras. Mm. And um, they asked me to do it. So I foolishly dove in with three months of prep, which was unheard of. Oh. So I just grabbed a hold of a moving train and tried to tried to learn the best I could because it is a different medium, right? You are making a movie in a different manner and uh, tried to figure it out. So you, you know, you mentioned Glenn Close said you kind of direct more like live action. Like what are some of those like differences and complexities of live action versus animation? And was there any one that you were surprised by that you like kind of weren't expecting, uh, you know, jumping into live action? The hardest thing to grab a hold of is the is that once you shoot something on the day, it's what you have. You can never change it. Okay. In animation, it, it's a con it's like a piece of clay. It constantly is, you know, you can constantly push it around. And when something isn't working, you can pull a piece off and put something else in its place. The live action movie, you work from a script, from words, and you're hoping that you've you've pulled that piece that 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 part of the puzzle together in a way that can is the is the is the perfect blueprint for a movie because once you've shot scene seven it is scene seven forever mm -hmm. right whether you whether or not it works or you know it doesn't work emotionally or you didn't get the performance you wanted it's what it's what you have is that something that you can fix and reshoots though because don't a lot of you, you can movies a lot of big budget movies do reshoots absolutely okay. I, I didn't get to do reshoots on 102 oh. Dalmatians. Um, so, so that was, you know, that in of itself is a, is an eye opener. The other thing is that, it, you know, like I just said, everything happens in the moment. So everybody's coming together to make that moment happen. Mm -hmm. So you have to be hyper-focused on making sure that you have everything you need. So, so that was maybe the hardest thing for me. Um, no, no, I'm going to take that back. Probably what was the hardest thing for me was figuring out the pacing of an overall film. I tended to shoot everything kind of the same way, not thinking about at the end, you want it to go a little bit faster or be, you know, or have more cuts. Mm -hmm. I tend, I, I couldn't even kind of grab a hold of that. I was juggling so many other things on my first movie. So I think 102 has a little bit of a, like a, like a soft pace. It just feels like it moves along without having valleys, emo even emotional valleys and, and, and heights. Now, do you typically do more kind of pre-production work then in storyboarding for live action? Because as you're kind of saying, you know, once it's shot, it's shot. So is mm -hmm. there kind of more prep on those movies versus maybe animated movies, whereas you can kind of refine as you go? There, you, you know, it's, it's what I did on my next movies, to be quite honest with you. As okay. I said, I, I ignored, I didn't have the time. To, to do as much of that. I couldn't storyboard the whole movie and then look at it. So on my next movies, I said, I need to embrace who I am as a creator. And part of that is discovering the movie in the storyboard phase. So the next thing I did was Eloise at the Plaza in Christmas time. And I did more storyboards and did a lot of storyboards myself. On Enchanted, I actually built a reel. I did storyboards for the whole movie, put them on film, did a temp track with the actors and looked at it to make sure that it was all working and had a had a ground zero 
in a way. And then we went in and did some rewrites and I realized some other things I needed to change, but I could do that because I did this. I took a step, you know, a first step, which was really a part of who I am in, in discovering what a story is. I think that there's a lot to be said because, you know, there's a storied, tumultuous beginning to Enchanted. You know, it was in pre-production for like, what, like seven years or something. There were the script was, was rewritten and written again many times. I mean, you know, from what we've heard from you, it's definitely you are definitely the guy. You know, you're the guy that say, I'm going to make this happen and it's, it's <laughs> going to happen. So how did that story kind of change and develop over time to the fact to the point where it was actually suitable for Disney. Right, right. It had many different I mean, as you said, it went through seven years of development. That's true. Bill Kelly sold the script to Disney seven years before it went into production, nine years before it was released. And even for him, it started as a different movie. For him, it it started as a movie about like Mar Maria from The Sound of Music. A, a character leaving a, a, a nunnery and going out into the world and discovering what the world was really like. <laughs> oh, wow. And then they changed it before they sold it to Disney about a cartoon character, about a, about a, a, a princess. It went through many directors, many different um, drafts, some of which were honestly, I think, kind of, you know, I, I would have never been able to make the movie they were making at one point. It was very blue. It was very R-rated. They had, you know, they were making fun of Disney movies. Um, at one point she came, she came to, I forgot how she got to, she fell out of the sky in, in Central Park. And she was, she hooked up with a bunch of strippers who were going to a bachelorette, a bachelor party. <laughs> oh, wow. And she wouldn't strip. And the bachelors were getting kind of rough with her, getting mad at her. And Robert saved her. Oh, wow. From, from that situation. So it was much more kind of, you know. Much different movie. Yeah. 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 And when I got involved, I said, and, and, and right before it, Shrek had come out. Right before okay. I was involved, Shrek okay. had come out. And I thought, well, they did that. They've done that already. They've poked fun at yeah. the, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, all the iconography. So let's do the opposite of that. And something I know how to do, which is make it a love letter yeah. to Disney films. And the studio was afraid to do that because you know they're they're all afraid that they're going to be made fun of and that they'll you know they're, they're they're somewhat cynical to begin with in general it's all about you know that's actually hilarious to hear you would never think that <laughs> will they be able to make money off of this it's all like the marketing mm -hmm. department's all yeah. like mm -hmm. and in fact the marketing department at the time tried to close down enchanted many many times because they didn't think it would make any money they just thought <laughs> It was it was a Wrong. losing proposition. <laughs> um, so so they took a chance. They took a chance on me and my in my idea of how I thought it should go. And I had to really work. Like I filled the whole floor of a of a of a production building with artwork, which so that I could take them through the entire story and show them what I was thinking at every turn. Um, and uh, you know, to the point where honestly, they didn't even want to hire Amy Adams because she wasn't a star. They said, you know, we want to star. This has to be bankable because they were still afraid of making, you know, not making their money back. But I showed them the the, the screen test, Amy's screen test, and it was undeniable that she yeah. had to be this character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? She was she was born for it. And this was mm -hmm. before June Bog had been released or any of that. So nobody really knew who she was. 
and um, they took some chances. Yeah, I was going to say it was some incredible casting. We had Patrick Dempsey kind of right after he was on Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and Patrick so- was all about if you want to hire Amy, we need a star in the other role. Okay. So who's that going to be? Okay. And so we started to look for someone that would satisfy the studio's need. Yeah. And Patrick, Patrick. Okay. Yeah. And um, James yeah, Marsden. Yeah. And, yeah. James with like Marsden. Amy Adams. Yeah. Like you said, she was kind of undiscovered at the time. And I, I mean, were you always like looking for someone in that role that was kind of like, um, yeah, not like a big name star that was somebody, you know, kind of like a, a fresh face that maybe could bring more authenticity to the role as kind of this, you know, fish out of water type story yeah. because it's all kind of new to them, you know, right. as well. Yeah. It was really about someone who could embody the character without making fun of the character. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted was, was a deep level of honesty and commitment. And when Amy came into the room, I, I, I was sick that day. I think I had like 103 temperature, but showed up anyway. Stupid of me. I've been doing, <laughs> I've been doing that since I was a, a kid going to school with fevers and stuff. Oh. Um, so I didn't want to miss a day of school. And I forgot I was sick. Wow. Truly. Wow. For, for, it was supposed to be a five-minute audition. It became a 20-minute audition. And I forgot I was sick. And wow. I just walked out of there saying, I don't need to see anybody else. I know, I know it has to be Amy. Wow. D- did you look at many other uh, people for the role? Like did the yes. studio? Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, we, we saw a lot of people. Both, both people who are well-known and aren't. Okay. I think that, I mean, when we watched the movie, we both said last night, we were just like, this is an incredibly written movie. I mean, (laughs) it is so well done and everything like it really does whisk you away and it does such a great job of both, you know, kind of it does. I feel like there is kind of like a little bit of a poking fun at it, but at the same time, there is a lot of, you know, yeah, like a love letter, like you were saying to you know, everything that Disney has done thus far with, you know, it finds a really interesting way of kind of tying it all together with a nice bow. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's just, it is really, really, I maybe one of the best they've ever had. And they've had some bangers. Oh, thank you. That's really, that's really nice to hear. I, you know, I, I worked really hard on it. I knew that it was the culmination of everything that I wanted to do, right? It has animation and live action. It's a love letter to Disney, which mm. is a studio I wanted to work for my entire life. So, so I, I knew I had to give it my all. And mm. I knew I had to make it for all of those people who love Disney the way I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did, right? And that's how it was going to succeed. And was it difficult to kind of like walk that line of writing the love letter, but also kind of parroting it? Like, was that, I know you said that they were kind of skeptical of that. So they were, I, I found it easy. It was just, it was just (laughs) who I am. Right. So, so it was an easy line to, to walk. Everybody says that, you know, that they say that exact thing. You, you threaded such a, such a fine needle head Mm -hmm. for this one. You walk that line, perfectly but it was just i knew what it had to be in my gut yeah mm-hmm. right and i just embraced them i made the movie that i want to see what's your favorite like easter egg from oh boy the- <laughs> oh boy there's so many i'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll tell you one and then it will totally change um you know from, from the from the beginning of being involved I, I sort of started to talk about 
those three basic movies, those three princess movies that we were going to emulate, mm -hmm. Snow White, Cinderella, and Sleeping Beauty, mm -hmm. as being sort of the, the touchstones that we were going to keep going back to. And so I think one of, one of my favorites is when that troll in the beginning, he's wearing that little loincloth that has each of their costumes on it. I don't know if I noticed that His one. His loincloth is made out of their costumes. Oh so God. it's as if he's already eaten all three of those princesses. <laughs> so that's an Easter egg that I that I really like. Um, I'm trying to, to there's so many. I, one time I remember making a list of them and it was just going on and on and on. Because <laughs> I thought maybe I would do a post or something about it, right? And call them all out. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but I don't know, there, 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 there's so many, so, so many. Is there any that you put in there and to date you've never heard anybody talk about it? Like they haven't found it yet? Not off the top of my head. I don't really keep track of it to be quite honest. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not obsessing about it. I'm looking forward to, to next things. So. Yeah. And, and what was that like, you know, filming Enchanted? Because you were in New York. So you're yeah. kind of on location versus, you know, probably 102 Dalmatians. I was more like, you know, on a uh, soundstage or something. Like, did that add like a level having, you know, almost a city be a character? in itself, you know, probably yeah. traffic and everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the number of times we had to, we had to stop traffic and take over the streets and, you know, New Yorkers aren't always that all that I, nice about it. I can't imagine. <laughs> so sometimes you'd be in the middle of a shot and someone walk through and give you the finger or, you know, scream in the middle of it. Yep. Um, okay. Let's go again. Or even having fans, you know, when Patrick, when we were doing, that's how, you know, in central park, the fans would just like, be like screaming for him and i had to ask him at one point i said patrick can you go over and just like talk to them for a moment and ask them not to scream during our takes we'd really appreciate it so he went over and talked to them for a minute and they were great after that but uh what they wanted they wanted to touch him they wanted a piece of him. <laughs> so so yeah but we closed down times square which hardly ever happens mm -hmm. it's really really difficult to make that happen and I'm doing things like making, you know, making Amy climb out of a, a sewer, you know, the sewer. And that's an actual sewer. Oh, so, we had really? to, wow. so we had to go in and build this whole thing so that she wouldn't be like, you know, rubbing up against the gross the sewer. Oh, wow. sewer and stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and, and Jimmy comes riding around on the top of a bus in the middle of Times Square. And it's like. What am I thinking? And every single time you want to reset that, that bus has to go all the way around the block and come back oh, wow. to start again. Yeah, so so it was an adventure, but but I'll tell you, we had a great group that made everything everything I asked for happen. So I'm I'm you know grateful for for people wanting to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seemed like the atmosphere that you created because I mean, just everything uh, everything that came across on camera just seemed like it was just. Loads of uh -huh. them. Just it's not like we didn't have our bad days. Oh, I'm sure. but, you know, everybody, <laughs> everybody has their hard days, but mm -hmm. uh, but but no, I think we all understood what we were making. Okay, so what is your overall? So this is unrelated to anything. Who is your overall favorite Disney character? Oh man, I hate this question. <laughs> <laughs> I really do hate this question. Um, my favorite character is probably. And it's just going to go back to first love is probably King Louie from a jungle book. Okay. The, jungle book the jungle book. Okay. And would that um, also be your, the movie that you're a fan of that you did the biggest fan of that you didn't get to work on? Um, 
I have a couple. That th- that one is definitely up there. It's not like I it's not like I watch it all the time, but yeah. you know, I I it definitely has a fondness in my heart. Um, the other one I really love is is Bambi. I'm just mm. like enthralled, and I think that that's that's where the whole Tarzan piece of the puzzle comes from is being able to go into a world where animals can talk to each other, right? It's that hidden world that you're that you're getting a glimpse into, which I which I really love. That is one thing that always surprises me about Disney. You know, they've re- revisited that in like Zootopia, but yeah. I feel like there have been so many Disney animated features where you have talking animals that have just hit it out of the park, yet they don't go back and do that too frequently you know that that talking animals thing they do a lot of people and things so i i don't i've never really understood why they kind of they i mean i guess they do they did nemo i mean that's pixar but they did nemo but right yeah i just i don't know why i don't i I don't I, i don't think it's for I don't think they don't want to do it. I just don't mm-hmm. think those stories come come across the desk as often yeah. or as easily. There used to be a joke, and I'm not even sure whether or not it's true, that they had a giant wheel. Like, you know, those things that you spin, and one of them had animals. The, the, it had an interior wheel that had, like, places, and the wheel inside of that was famous stories. And I think it's a joke, and I think they say, like, you know, like, Lions in Africa um, with Hamlet came like lined up and they made that story. I think I'm pretty sure it's a joke, but you know, I, I say, wouldn't have. If it's true, that's the most impressive thing yes, ever that those lined up. So. I mean, it's better than lions in Antarctica with Othello or something. That would be odd. It would be. Lions in space. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, so. So I don't think it's for lack of of want. I mean, of course, Lion King's the most, you know, is their biggest title to date. Well, maybe Frozen's past it now. But um, but you know, at the time it was huge. You'd think mm-hmm. they'd make, you know, 10 more right. animal stories, you know, mm-hmm. figure that out, but didn't happen. Now, having directed both uh animated movies and live action, do you have a preference of one over the other? I don't. No, I okay. don't. In fact, most of the things I look for now is how can I combine the two again? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, almost all the ideas I have are hybrid movies that involve both. So, and those movies are really expensive, which means convincing someone to make them is near impossible. Mm-hmm. Unless, you know, unless you've got some, some IP behind it, some famous title, it's really, really hard to get um, backing. Any interest in, you know, Disney's doing all these live action remakes, any interest in directing a live action <laughs> remake of like a Tarzan or something or one no. of the other movies? No, no. I'll, let, I'll let somebody else do that. I've done that already. Um, but you know, and time for time, uh, you know, time to time, I think about things like, oh, I wonder what a, what would a live action Bambi look like? What would that be? Can you even, is that even really interesting? Aren't they um, working on that? I feel like I've heard think, they're working I, on that. I think every single title that you <laughs> yeah, the, mentioned yeah. they're working on. Yeah. I, mean, I think I think they're doing the three caballeros as well, I think. Oh my. I'm joking. I don't think they're doing the three caballeros. I was gonna say, is, is there gonna be a cardboard cutout <laughs> playing one of there's them? Gonna, there's gonna be like melody time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. On uh what's on that in a small world, right? In the ride. No, yeah, the, the three, three caballeros oh, ride in Epcot. They had a they had oh. a plant. Was it a cactus or something like, yeah, the, for a while? The Donald and... animatronic broke and they put 
uh, like a cactus in with a sombrero on it for a little bit. <laughs> and then and then they took all the animatronics out. Now I think they're just cardboard cutouts. So it was, but really? it was, yeah, it was great when it was a, a cactus. I think they I'm surprised it hasn't that. become like a cocoa ride or something. That they uh, haven't yeah. repurposed I think, it. I think everybody's waiting for that. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. it seems. So you guys are really big Disney World fans, right? Oh, I yes. like yeah. It, right? We're, I mean, yeah. We're, we're East Coast. So we, yeah. yes. we go to, by default, we go to Disney World more yes. often. Right. Right. Now, are you, so are you Disneyland fan more? Um, Rhode Island, though. Well, I, I, yeah, the first, I, that was the uh, Disney World was the first park I went to. Okay. Got mm-hmm. from Rhode Island. But I've been to Disneyland much more often. Mm-hmm. I went to I went to school down in you know down in Los Angeles and um, lived there for about twenty five years. And now I live up uh, just north of San Francisco. Mm, okay. okay. Because I'm married to Brenda Chapman. Yeah. Yes. You know that? Did you do your research on this? Yes. And Angela she, knows. Angela oh yeah. Knows. <laughs> and we moved up here. She's the director of Brave. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and she did the story on the Lion King, so she did. She I'm did. not going to be able to hold my professionalness. You you can do it. I have all faith that you can. So we moved up here when she started at Pixar. Nice. Okay. Okay. Northern California, and we just can't go back to LA. It's just you know, go back to all that cement would just be mm-hmm. would be bad for our souls. So what what's your favorite attraction? What's your favorite? What's your go to ride? Oh uh, boy. I'm trying to think of the thing, the one that I, the one that I say like, okay, we have to go here every single time. It's probably the haunted mansion. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would, a say. Good one. I would probably say the haunted mansion. Yeah. I like, I like the, the rides that tell a story Yes. Mm-hmm. more than anything. Mm-hmm. And you can guess where that comes from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they need to get um, some attractions based on your movies, like a Tarzan swing through the trees or something. I think uh, trees and surfing, tree surfing. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Well, didn't they? I know at Disney World they had an actual like show for a while, right? They had something I think called Tarzan Rocks. Maybe, yeah, that that might predate us a little bit. I think I saw yeah. that. No, it wouldn't. I mean, I've never it. seen it. I've never, yeah, yeah. I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then they have they they you know they did the unthinkable and they turned the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse into the Tarzan okay. Treehouse That's at true. Disneyland. Right. right. Mm-hmm. But it's you know it's just a little walk through with a couple mm-hmm. of hard figures that never move <laughs> yeah. because it rains. Right. So. Right. Yeah. I think that, I think they're really missing the boat on that one. I also think that they really need to develop an elephant graveyard, escaping the F- elephant graveyard ride. I, I am so hard behind this one. <laughs> like, come on. This is, this, it, it writes it. Like it, it basically imagines itself. <laughs> it writes it. Right. It writes itself. I'm surprised they never put any even little hints in the Jungle Cruise towards the Lion King, but they haven't, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any. No. Yeah, there's there's very yeah. little. I mean, Disney World has the Festival of the Lion King show. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that, at that's Animal basically. Kingdom, right? Yeah. Yes, at Animal Kingdom. But yeah, that, that's right. really it. They don't have a huge presence in the parks. That's mm-hmm. Angela's complaint every it, time we it go. Is, right, it is. Right, right. <laughs> I know that we, I, I'm sh- this isn't the same with the Lion King, but I know with Tarzan, there are some legal issues. In that the studio mm-hmm. does not own the characters. Okay. The Edgar Rice Burroughs estate owns them. So anytime they use the characters, they have to pay the Edgar, Edgar Rice Burroughs estate. Is that book not in the public domain? I think it is in the public domain, but they, but still- they have somehow held on to the characters. So is it kind of like Disney and Mickey Mouse? <laughs> I think, it, I think it is. Exactly. Okay. 
It's wow. exactly that. So that's why you never see Tarzan characters with other Disney characters. Because mm -hmm. in the contract, they're not allowed to share the same space because the Tarzan characters are not Disney characters. Huh. Interesting. It's a very complicated legal mm -hmm. contract <laughs> that I don't think they'd ever enter into again. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah they have so much IP of their own. They don't, they yeah, don't need they, to. They at don't this need point. any of that. Yeah. I'm a little surprised that I don't see Giselle more often. I was thinking park. that as well. Yeah. I've seen her, I've seen photos of her there. But I, you don't, you don't see her, and I, and I don't know what that has to do with. Um, I know that they did not buy Amy's likeness. Disney okay. did not buy her likeness. Well, maybe with the sequel that they're working maybe, on now, maybe yeah. we'll see that that more. Uh, what, what do you think about that? That they're making a sequel now. Um, I think I think good luck to them. Right? <laughs> I, I I really can't. You know, I I, I don't wish anybody ill will mm -hmm. with it. I, I do wish I were a part of it, but, uh, but that, but that's just not the way it's turned out. So I, I would think that they would consult the director. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just, you know, if you look at the history of sequels though, most of them are made by different directors. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Almost all of them are. So, um, you know, I only hope that they honor the characters, mm -hmm. yeah. right. That they hold on to who they are and honor, how their story will move forward. Pixar, I mean, Pixar has done an excellent job, I think, with the Toy Story movies and yes. honoring those characters. They don't try to write, rewrite those characters' histories. Yeah, yep. and they develop them throughout the movies. Right, right. Those. They continually grow and change, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think the good thing with the sequel is it's, like you said, it's continuing the story. We're getting more original as opposed to, yeah, just let's just recreate all the old movies, you mm -hmm. know, and kind of rehash stuff. So, right, um, right. Yeah, it, it it'll be interesting to see how that one turns out. So, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll be crying that day. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you out of here on a, a few uh, more questions here, but yeah. you know, you've had a, a great career. You've done you know a, a little bit of everything. I think in filmmaking. Any advice for someone looking into get into filmmaking, or yeah, how to deal with kind of that adversity uh, as they move right. through the industry? I think it's a combination of, of grit, of having the ability to keep going and doing things. Like don't ask, don't ask someone to give you something, prove that you can do it. Mm -hmm. I think in, in filmmaking, we all now, you know, I wish I had a, I wish I had a, you know, a phone movie camera that I could hold in my hand every day. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can make a movie. Anybody can make a movie now. Mm. Right. You know, for me to make a movie when I was a kid was incredibly expensive. Yeah. Right. And you had to have all this equipment and get everything developed. Just couldn't do it. So I found other ways like doing puppets. But I would say do it. Prove to the world that that you're worthy of it. Don't wait for it to be gifted to you. Mm -hmm. And then go out and look for opportunities. Go out and ask for your chance. I mean, I've gotten almost everything in my life because I've asked for it. Because I've stepped up and said, hey, now I want to do this. What about, what about that? Well, Kevin, I don't know if you can. No, I'm going to go and try to do that. Yeah. And it's, you know, for the most part worked out. Yeah, that, that's, that's great advice. I mean, mm -hmm. like you said, you know, even if it's a no at first, you know, go and, and maybe, you know, go try something different. Like you, you directed community theater, you know, you right. went to Taiwan and you started in, and you kind of proved yourself and you built that resume. Then when you came back, it, 
you kind of proved you have those skills and it's um, yeah. a lesson in perseverance. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I remember feeling, feeling very vindicated by, by the executives at Disney when I, when I was asked to do a goofy movie said, we never should have let him go. Oh, okay. Nice. And that, and that felt nice that in mm-hmm. going, yeah. it helped someone recognize who I was mm-hmm. and that I was oh. worth something. Right. That's a high compliment there. So only in the leaving mm-hmm. was I given that compliment though. Right. Standing yeah. up for myself and taking that next step. Right. For yeah. myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Take, taking those chances that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and what projects are you working on coming up? I think you have your own production company now. I do. Is Brenda have- and I started our own company um, three years ago. We started it at Fox when Fox was trying to make a family, uh, start a family division. Okay. And then Fox gets bought by Disney. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we've ended up back in the fold. That's um, great. <laughs> but we've been developing movies and, um, you know, we've set up a couple of things. We have a... Uh, you know, we have a big Christmas limited mini series at Netflix that we're doing, which we're developing right now. The right, uh, it's it's with Bill Kelly, the writer of Enchanted. Oh, he wow. and I are writing that together. Um, we just set up a project at uh, at Paramount Players about a gender fluid kid who wants to have their Kinsanera. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and that's going to be a big musical. That's uh, we're looking to do a big Latin Mamma Mia kind of musical. Oh wow! Oh, that'll, that'll be great. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're we're constantly developing things. Constantly, I'm, we're out with a project right now. We've got like five other projects that we're working on. I tend to want to make everything into a musical, which drives Brenda crazy because Brenda <laughs> would rather have none of them be musicals. <laughs> um, I think she's she's worked on too many musicals. So yeah, so we're busy and we're excited and. Just keep trying, you know, just keep, I've had, you know, I, you know, I think you can probably tell from my resume that there's been a bunch of years here where things have almost happened, like been on set, ready to say action and the movie all falls apart at the last minute. Wow. And that's happened a couple of times. I spent two and a half years on a big Bollywood musical at DreamWorks Animation. No. And yes. Yes. <laughs> that's Called, what we need. We need this. <laughs> it was, it was a big, and it was great. I'll have to say it was just amazing. And because of the sale of the studio, they, they folded seven, eight projects. They just folded them all up. My project was like a month away from going into animation. And is, okay. Is this something that you could now? It's gone. It's It's gone. gone. I've tried. Yeah. Yeah. A.R. Rahman was writing the music. Uh, the big Indian uh, composer and uh, Stephen Schwartz, Wicked, was writing the lyrics. No. Oh, wow. yes, that was great. It was big. It was big. It was really great. No, it was really great. But that happened a bunch of times over these last over the last ten years, and so part of Brenda and I starting our own company was really about owning our material. Yeah. Okay. Right. So I didn't own Monkeys of Mumbai, so I had no right to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the end of the day. And so I worked two and a half years on that, and it's yeah, it's, it's just gone. The, it's gone. Wow, who it's been written the off on the it's been written off on the taxes. Oh, right? okay. so, so it's dead. It's just dead. it's at DreamWorks. Like nobody, okay, at DreamWorks. Dream, yeah. but they okay. don't. They're not doing anything with it. They're just no, a, no. Uh, You're gonna start a petition to DreamWorks. I am. <laughs> I am. I even at one point I was I was I was putting a whole bunch of artwork on on Twitter. I think that's probably how you found me on Twitter, and um. I was putting a bunch of artwork from the movie and, and Universal who now owns DreamWorks came in and made me take down all the 
Oh, oh, really? oh wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That is something I didn't really think about it, but I feel like there's so much, I think that there's so much of the, like Bollywood that it's just so spectacular. And right. we, to think that we don't have any real mm-hmm. representations in, you know, like that's more accessible. To, so it's like to a Western audience. Yeah. yeah that's a, that is a niche that is unfilled that could right. very easily become a thing <laughs> like right 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 so. no I, I i agree and i've been i've been racking my brain to think of another mm. another way in that that has to be incredibly frustrating though <laughs> it is it's heartbreaking mm. it's heartbreaking to step right up to the to the edge of getting something made and having it taken away but again i just have to you know i just have to rely upon the grit of picking myself up again and investing in my own creativity. And that's what it's the, you know, a lot for me now, it's the journey of creation that mm-hmm. I, that I find incredibly rewarding, but it sure would be nice to have uh, something to share with the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so do you plan on like directing some of these films or are you kind of taking more from again, the kind of the production creation side idea generation? No, the, the, the idea is that I would direct. Okay. We're, we're developing movies that I could direct. Okay. And if for some, you know, if we have great luck and two things happen at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, then I will step aside and just produce that movie and someone else will take it on. Well, that's great. I yeah. say looking forward to, yes. to what you have, you know, coming out with. Thanks. Uh, thanks. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. And thank you very much. Yeah. And, and uh, you mentioned your, your Twitter. Oh, yes. If, if people kind of want to follow you on social media, if where you can wanna, we find you? Yeah. Oh boy. I don't even remember the name of it at, um, what am I? I'm at Goofy Movie Durr. Okay, on Twitter. All right, perfect. Yep. All right, so people can can follow you there. Kevin, uh, thank you. This has been great. It, it's been uh, a, a pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, you know, really interesting kind of hearing your story, some of the behind the scenes on the yes. movies. And, and we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And again, really looking forward to seeing yes. you know, what movies you have coming out. Thank you so much. It was nice talking to you, you guys. Were, you were, guys were a great conversation. All right. Just want to thank Kevin again for talking with us. Again, a really great interview. It was interesting to hear kind of how his upbringing played into his career and kind of how he kind of saw his career and really just took opportunities when he wanted to move. You know, he wanted to try directing, then he wanted to try live action directing, and he just kind of made his himself those opportunities. Yeah, and and you know, he advocated for himself and knew whenever he had more potential, so he was willing to make the moves that were necessary to get what he wanted. You know, I also really liked, and I never really thought about this, on how when you're working on an animated movie, you have 20 different animators all drawing the same character and you have to make it look like one person drew it. Yeah. I don't know why I never thought of that, but it, it was interesting to kind of hear him talk about like some of those challenges with directing animated movies. And that would be difficult, I think, to you know, get everybody to, to make a cohesive character. Yeah, put everybody on the same page. It makes sense, you know, having talked to Tom and Tony Bancroft, where they had those character mock-ups that they would draw and the character sheets that would kind of say, you know, Mushu's um, little mustache always goes up and things like that to keep things consistent. But yeah, it, it never really occurred to me either. And if you enjoyed this interview, be sure to let Kevin know you enjoyed hearing him on Enchanted Ears. You know, send him a tweet over on Twitter. He's Goofy Movie Dir D I R over like there on director. Twitter. Yeah, so let let him know you enjoyed hearing him. And want to thank everybody again for listening this week. If you're new, welcome. Welcome. 
Uh, if you have not done so already, make sure you leave us a rating or a review. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We have new episodes every Monday. We would really appreciate if you joined us week to week. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody. And we'll see you here next Monday. Bye.